0: Welcome to our sermon here in Chapel for June 28th, based on Philippians 2, 1-13. That'll our attitude, Jesus' altitude. First section. How hard can it be to just follow instructions? Sometimes we need a little attitude adjustment. As lockdown goes on, if I counted correctly, we've now had about 15 weeks. We can start to get on each other's nerves. We can't do this, can't do that, can't travel. You can make a meme in the shape of a road sign that says, Caution, you are now entering the grumpy phase of lockdown. Our attitude can start to get a little frayed, worn at the edges. Paul writes to the church at Philippi, Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ. He humbled himself and became obedient to death, as you have always obeyed continue to work out your salvation, verses 5, 8, and 12. Our attitude can interfere with our obedience. New Living Translation puts 2.12, you always followed my instructions when I was with you. Obedience has to do with following instructions. How hard can that be? Isn't it just like following a recipe, doing what's laid out before you? But our attitude can get in the way. Example 1. Over a week ago, my wife asked me to plant a couple of packets of morning glory seeds. I found a plastic seed tray with covers and dirt and got right at it. I made four neat little rows. There were two packets each with about 12 morning glory seeds in each. So that made for four rows of six seeds each. I watered it, put the lid on, and we waited. The result, at last count, we have about nine seedlings out of the two dozen planted. Not a very good emergence rate. After planting, I happened to check the instructions on the back of the packet. It said, for best germination results, soak the seeds overnight first, then plant in the soil in full sunlight. No, I had not soaked them. Nor was it directly in the soil, but in a tray instead. Maybe next time, I should try following the instructions. Example 2. A couple of weeks ago, Patty and I ordered some solar-powered spotlights to light up her hair salon roadside sign at night. We researched lots of options and placed our order through a large online company, which shall remain nameless. This week, they arrived. We excitedly opened the boxes, only to find they had sent a model which was completely different from the one we ordered. We had received pathway lights instead of spotlights. All very nice, but not at all what was needed for our purpose. You can see on the left what we thought we ordered, and on the right what we received, and on the bottom, clearly the order form number differed from the number that was on the box. Apparently someone at the warehouse picking out the order just couldn't follow instructions. The model number was completely different from what was on the order form. These are simple examples, a bit frustrating, but not life-shattering. Now, when it comes to the more important matters in life, often we find it hard to follow God's instructions. Obedience doesn't come easily. What can we learn from Jesus' own attitude that will make it easier for us to become obedient? Next section. Attitude flows from connection. First, we find out from Philippians 2 that attitude flows from connection, Look at verses 1 to 2. If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from His love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose. It's an if-then statement. If we have encouragement and comfort, and fellowship and tenderness and compassion from Christ in the Spirit, then our mindset will be united and loving. But it hinges on our connection to the Lord. Verse 1. If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, literally, in Christ, who live in Translation, is there any encouragement from belonging to Christ? any comfort from his love, any fellowship, koinonia, partnership, sharing in the spirit. And the whole rest of the chapter flows from being connected to Jesus. And for that to happen, we need repentance. Unless we become born again, we cannot obey God. To follow biblical instruction is always going to seem like an uphill battle because God's ways are different from human way, We need to repent, confess our sin, and trust in Jesus to be born over again, born from above. 1 Corinthians 2.14, Paul writes, The man without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, and he cannot understand them, because they are spiritually discerned. As Jesus explained to Nicodemus John 3.6, Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to Spirit. You must be born again. Paul rebuked the church at Corinth for still being worldly, jealousy, quarrelling, acting like mere men. To put it for 15, 15. By contrast, he could also say, "We have the mind of Christ." Chapter 2:16. How? by confessing, repenting, submitting to Jesus as Lord, inviting His Spirit to take control. The Gospel insists a very real connection with God is made possible through faith in Jesus. He comes to dwell in us. His Spirit living in us gives life to our bodies and helps us to set our minds on what He wants instead of being hostile to God, refusing to submit to God's love. Romans 8, 5, 11 A couple of corollaries here. First, don't expect too much of non-Christians. There are some non-believers who live upright and moral lives, good people we might say, but we shouldn't be surprised if they slip or disappoint us because they don't have God's spirit within them to guide and strengthen them. Second, ought we to expect better of ourselves? What's our excuse for bad behavior if we profess to be Jesus' followers and have God's Spirit living in us? Our standards in conduct ought to be at least as high as that of our non-believing neighbors. If obedience, being focused on God's way, thinking the one thing, being like-minded with other Christians, depends on our actual lived connection with the Lord, what are we doing to nurture and maintain that connection? Do we set aside time to meditate on his word and pray daily? Are you feeding or starving your Holy Spirit connection? Next section. Selfishness comes naturally. Another thing that emerges from these verses is that selfishness comes naturally and is groomed by the world system. If someone cuts in on you while you're driving you you lay on the horn, that's called road rage. We naturally don't like being bumped to the back of the line for others to cut in or cut us off. Abraham Maslow's hierarchy of needs peaked with self actualization. It's all about me becoming all I can be, maximizing my potential on a human scale. Somebody hopping into line ahead of me isn't going to help that happen. We were in Concord heading down to the beach for a takeout meal of sushi, but needing something to drink because we'd forgotten our water bottle. Heading out the door in a rush when we found the bulk barn would be closing just about the time we got there. We got our drinks and approached the checkout line. Half a dozen people were lined up for the main till, dutifully spaced out two metres apart on account of COVID. However, one gentleman near the back of the line offered to let us go ahead of him because we had just a couple of items. How kind. We thanked him, then noticed there was also an express till we could use because we had less than a All the same, he was very thoughtful on his part, letting us go ahead. When was the last time someone let you cut in ahead of them, graciously? We sure appreciated it at the time, don't we? Unfortunately, selfishness comes to us so naturally, Paul is compelled to warn the Philippians against it. Verses 3 and 4 do nothing out of vain, selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. We are born fallen ever since the Garden of Eden. It comes naturally to us to be selfish, to look out for number one. In fact, The world system grooms us to be even more selfish. Think of popular advertising slogans. A classic one for me is McDonald's, You deserve a break today. A search pulled up a website listing these top 20 campaign slogans for advertising. As you listen, consider whether these sayings would have the effect of making us more or less selfish. Nike. Just do it. Apple. Apple think different. L'Oreal, because you're worth it. KFC, it's finger-lickin' good. Coca-Cola, share a Coke. Dunkin' Donuts, America runs on Dunkin'. Kit Kat, have a break, have a Kit Kat. The beers, a diamond is forever. Panasonic, a better life, a better world. Dollar Shave Plum, shave time, shave money. Disney, the happiest place on earth. Wendy's, where's the beef? Old Spice, smell like a man, man. I'm not sure I need Old Spice to do that. Visa, it's everywhere you want to be. Jaguar, grace, space, pace. Compass, let us guide you home. McDonald's, I'm loving it. FedEx, when there is no tomorrow. Sounds like an apocalyptic chapter from the end of the Bible. Budweiser, the king of beers. Levi's, quality never goes out of style. Well, what would you say? Isn't the general gist of such slogans designed to cater to our selfish desires and appetites? The seller aims to entice the whims and hankerings of the potential buyer. And since Budweiser gets mentioned, here's a bonus. What about the beer from a certain brewery in Quebec that in the mid nineteen sixties was outselling every other beer in the province? The slogan wouldn't a dow go good now? Ah but no prizes on grammar for that one. And no, I am not suggesting I'm not proof of alcohol. Back to our text. Verse three. Do nothing out of selfish ambition. Galatians five twenty lists. Selfish ambition is part of the acts of the sinful nature or deeds of the flesh that are so contrary to the fruit of the Spirit. A healthy work ethic is a good thing. Paul urged the Thessalonians to not be idle, but to work with their hands so they have something to share. But selfish ambition aims to get ahead at others' expense. Vain conceit, or empty self-focus, becomes kind of a black hole relationally sucking life out of others to feed one's own ego. It's counterintuitive to look not only to your own interests, verse 4. Isn't that what governments are expected to do? Look out for national interests? So we get China and India battering each other with brutal weapons in a border clash in a remote disputed area. West Bank clashes. Russian hackers using ransomware against employees of big American companies working from home. By contrast, Paul later in the same chapter praises his co-worker Timothy, whose attitude is quite different than the norm. 2:20, I have no one else like him who takes a genuine interest in your welfare. For everyone looks out for his own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. What about you? Is most of your time and attention taken up looking out for your own interests? What about Jesus' interests, his purposes? Do you find it easy to count others actually better than yourself? Is it an internal struggle to put down the remote or rearrange your plans in order to look to the interests of others? Next section, obedience requires humility. Next, we find Paul emphasizing that obedience requires humility, which is made possible by Christ's astonishing revolutionary grace. Verse 5 tells us our attitude, our, our thinking, our mindset, our outlook should be the same as that of Jesus. And how did he demonstrate his own attitude? Well, in verses 6 to 11, Paul seems to be using poetry for perhaps riffing off an existing very early Christian hymn that had become popular in the early church this ancient poetry portrays Jesus laying aside his heavenly glory and authority to come to earth and become crazily enough the servant and savior of the very sinners who had rejected him verses 6 to 8 who being in very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be grasped but made himself nothing taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. In theological terms, this is referred to as the kenosis passage. Kenosis is a Greek term for emptying. Jesus was with God from before time began, before there was anything created. He is essentially God, like the Almighty Father, in his godness. Jesus is not a created being like an angel. The Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, shared a loving community before there was anything else. But then Jesus left all that behind to fulfilled God's purpose in providing a perfect atoning sacrifice by which sinners like you and me could be put right with him, forgiven, and fitted to spend eternity with him in heaven. Jesus didn't consider equality with God something to be grasped clung to, held on to tightly or exploited. He gave up his divine privileges. John MacArthur points out five things Jesus did give up to become our Savior. Number one is heavenly glory, John 75. Two, independent authority. During his incarnation Christ completely submitted himself to the will of his Father. Three, divine prerogatives. Christ set aside the voluntary display of his divine attributes and submitted himself to the Spirit's direction. Four, eternal riches, Second Corinthians 8 9. He was essentially homeless, dependent on the hospitality of others. Jesus could even say, foxes have holes and birds of the Arab nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. 20. Hmm. Well, like a refugee, huh? And five, a favorable relationship with God. Christ experienced the Father's wrath for human sin while on the cross. Matthew 27, 46. He gave all these things up. To come to save him. And so Jesus humbled himself and became obedient, not just to death, but to the most painful form of execution humans ever devised. God declared that to be hung on a tree was to be accursed. So Jews especially despised this Roman method of painful execution. But Jesus submitted to it, became obedient, even to the limit of being snuffed out. Verses 9 to 11 describe Jesus' new altitude, how exalted he is, now raised up and empowered totally. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place, and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Name isn't just an identifying label, but represents office, rank, who is preeminent. Jesus could say to the apostles just before his ascension, Matthew 28, 18, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. That is some statement. There is no contest. Jesus is it, big time. So every knee everywhere should bow, even in the land of the dead, under the earth. And every tongue confess he is who he says he is. Fundamental, shortest Christian creed, in a nutshell, is Jesus is Lord. He is boss. Not you, not me, not the P-O-T-U-S, not our worst enemy. Everybody will one day answer to him. Have you submitted to him? Put yourself under his mighty name. Romans 10, 9. If you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. 1 Corinthians 12, 3. Therefore I tell you that no one who is speaking by the Spirit of God says, Jesus be cursed. No one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. That phrase is key. Is Jesus Lord of your life? Have you exalted him to the highest place in your consciousness? Have you yielded control to him? Does your tongue confess him, acknowledge him, admit the appropriateness of his station at the Father's right hand? If it doesn't now, it... Will be forced to concede that at some point after death, though will be of no advantage to you then. Why did God arrange it all this way? To help you deal with your sin problem. Your Heavenly Father wanted a relationship with you so much that He sent His unique Son, the God-man, to take the punishment that should have been yours. See, purpose right through verses 10 and 11. That, to what end? At the name of every knee should bow and every tongue confess Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. It was purpose written right through there. At the cross we behold the amazing depths and breadth of God's merciful grace. Jesus became empty so we might be full. He stripped himself of the insignia of majesty. He did not count it a prize which must be clung to tenaciously, but was willing to lay aside his glory and make himself a servant. That same spirit that drew the highest to the lowest is the same spirit that can energize our own humility, our submission to obey the Lord and carry out his will. Exception Align your purpose with God. Last, as knees bow and tongues confess, our willing intentionality, our volition begins to steer and direct our acting, our behavior, our goals, what we're working to achieve. This is where the rubber hits the road. Humility makes possible obedience. Proper discernment translates into righteous action. Philippians 2, 12, and 13. Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. Now, this is not about works of salvation, having to earn our forgiveness by piling up good deeds, though some religions make it sound that way. Salvation is by grace through faith, not by works, lest we should boast. We should do it. It's Jesus who is Savior by what he did, not us. But he gives us a part to play in extending his kingdom of love and grace and truth and righteousness, sharing the good news, each one telling another what God has done for Work out your salvation. Living Translation, work hard to show the results of your salvation. How? With what attitude? With fear and trembling. Living Translation, deep reverence and fear. Does that characterize our worship services? Or are we told to keep things light and chipper and entertaining? It's just kept superficial, light and fluffy. We're not letting the Word do its deep surgical work. Lightfoot calls it a nervous and trembling anxiety to do right. Verse 13 ends where we began, with a connection so necessary to let God's life become manifest in ours. It says, Or, or because don't overlook that. For it is God who works in you. What a promise! Incredible. God works in me. God works in you to will and to act according to His good purpose. Get your train running on His tracks. Align your purposes with Heaven's ends. It's not all about you. Uh, Section moving into the neighborhood with refugees christ jesus save you and me emptied himself made himself nothing took on the form of a servant humbled himself and became obedient to death though he originated in the palace and very throne room of heaven on earth he did not build a nice house never owned a pickup truck did not amass possession he came specifically to serve To give his life as a ransom for many, To do this, he divested himself of all divine privilege. The message translates John 1:14. The Word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. Er, Dwelt among us in some other country. Moved into the neighborhood. On this World Refugee Sunday, we remember those who are trying to find a mean neighborhood instead of one fraught with war and persecution or other danger they may be fleeing from. If we have Jesus' love motivating us, are we prepared to welcome them, to get to know them, support them in their transition, get familiar with their culture, sort of move into their neighborhood, as it were? A few years ago, my son Keith and his wife Darcy and Fanny moved out of their apartment in an Ottawa suburb and became live-in facilitators at Matthew House, Ottawa. Its website describes its mission this way. Matthew House Refugee Services, Ottawa Inc. was founded in January 2010 by a group of visionary volunteers and missionaries to help those refugee claimants in Ottawa who arrived with nothing. We wanted to serve the people from around the world right here in our own city in 2017 over 8000 refugee claimants came to ontario refugee claimants are coming to canada because they are fleeing a dangerous situation back home this could have to do with their religious or political views their ethnicity or sexual orientation some come with enough funds to start over here some come with nothing this today we're marking world refugees sunday This week, I asked uh, Keith to share some of the highlights of their time at Matthew House,
1: Ottawa. Here is Keith. Hi, Dad. Keith here. Thanks for inviting me to talk a bit about the work of Matthew House, Ottawa, and the role that uh, Darcy and I and our kids played in the startup of that organization, some of the things that they do, and then how people can get involved So Matthew House Ottawa began back in 2010. It was based on another established model. So there's a Matthew House in Toronto as well. And we were um, kind of took the inspiration from the work that was happening there. Uh, From Matthew 25, 35, where it says, Jesus is saying, I was a stranger and you invited me in, basically. And so uh, these are organizations that help to support refugee claimants as they're coming to Canada. Refugee claimants... Do not have a sponsorship in place um, and so basically they're showing up and they're 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 pleading you know let us uh, stay in canada we're coming from really difficult and challenging situations and so uh, we're, we're basically seeking asylum here in the country and so these folks would show up in, in canada and obviously toronto's a hub but uh, many other towns and cities are, are hubs as well um, they would show up and, and be looking for a place to stay while they're pursuing the, the legal process to be able to stay in Canada. And so this work was happening in Toronto and many other different cities and towns, but there was nothing formal in Ottawa taking place around that time, especially from the the Christian faith perspective. Um, and so we had some friends that were, were looking at starting up this, this organization and uh, as Just as we heard about it we, we thought that is that is what Christ calls us to do, um, generally as Christians, but also specifically us in the time of where we were we 're like we need to we need to be involved in this work and so we had uh, two children at the time we now have charity back then we had Lucy and isaiah who 's our oldest and uh, you know it seemed like kind of a, a wild idea, but we thought to ourselves. This, this house is starting up, um, basically to provide short-term housing for folks that are arriving in Canada. And what would it look like for us to stay there and, and be a host family, essentially welcoming people to the country? We wouldn't be so involved in all of the, the legal processes and those sorts of things, but, um, as a, as an example of uh, Christian hospitality as people are coming into Canada and so we agreed to that and we got a lot of uh, funny looks from people as we said we were moving into this this house that could um, host up to to 10 or so people and these are folks that are coming from out out of the country they're strangers who we have no idea who they are and and so I know there were some questions around you know the risk factor involved in that Um, and as I thought about it you know one it's, it's what we're, we were called to do. And so risk is one piece of the puzzle. And we certainly wanted to be conscious about that. But also the love of God compels us. And that goes deeper than, than the risk involved as well. Um, the other piece of it was obviously that these folks are arriving in Canada and they are looking to stay here and are not looking to do anything to jeopardize the possibility of them, um, finding that safe haven for them to land. And so they all had a strong incentive to, to work well with the people that they met. And, and really, I mean, there were a couple of things along the way. We stayed there for a year and a half as Matthew House Ottawa was getting off the ground. Um, Obviously, you always have your personal differences and, and run into challenges with people not wanting to do the chores or whatever, but um, generally, it was, a, it was an incredible experience and chance to meet those, those people. You, you asked about some of the challenges as well, especially facing refugee claimants. And we've been through a, through a time and are going through a time of protests, and a lot of people are waking up to the systemic racism that, that pervades every aspect of society. And so most of the people that came to us were coming from African countries. They, they face racism on, on a daily basis, and that was part of their lived reality. But you can also imagine having language barriers, and you're coming to a new country, you don't have documentation uh, for that country, you are um, kind of thrown into all these systems and processes i know i get nervous every time that my driver's license is up for renewal or i have to go um go into service ontario and get something done there's there's processes involved there or when you're filing your taxes it's a uh, if you're not used to it it can be an overwhelming experience now imagine that times a hundred uh, in a language that you potentially don't understand very well it might be your second or third or fourth or fifth uh, language and maybe having to work through a translator and this is a whole a whole new world a whole new thing for you and try to imagine putting your best foot forward in that situation and saying I have a strong case to be here in Canada uh, please let me stay and having that whole uncertainty you might have been separated from family and friends and loved ones and potentially coming from a traumatic past a traumatic uh, experience back in in your home country um so obviously the the challenges are immense and then there's the practical challenges of looking for a pace, place to stay um looking for friendships and people to support you through that time Uh the rewards you asked me about the rewards of of that work and really there's nothing much more incredible than Meeting these people with such diverse uh, lived experiences and stories, we didn't tend to get into the stories as the host family too much. We didn't push them on that; uh, they would be asked about that plenty. But obviously, it comes out through bits and pieces at a time, and just the the, the strength of personalities for some of them, the commitment of faith that they had, uh, for for many the uh, the the thanks and the gratitude that were expressed uh, for for House Ottawa and ourselves. I mean, it's incredible. And then having two young kids at the time, too, just to be exposed to the world that's out there and the experiences of so many people that, who have been displaced or marginalized. Um, I mean, that's an invaluable kind of life experience for them, too. So that would be one of the the greatest aspects. The other is just getting to work with friends in a kind of startup organization and be excited about where God is leading and where that could go. And even here, ten years later, to to look at the work of Matthias Ottawa going strong, and to be thankful that we could play a small part in that is is just a, a beautiful memory. Um, and we're thankful for that experience. And then I guess finally, how people can get involved. There are, there are a lot of needs, right? So Matthew's Ottawa has a furniture bank that helps to provide furniture when people move into their own place. Um, that, that can be a big need, to be able to furnish the house or the apartment or wherever. Getting involved in local ministries like this one, they're everywhere, right? And there's so many ways to get involved, to volunteer, to help cook, even just to be a friend to people. If you have skills around language interpretation, those always come in handy. And really, just being the body of Christ together, doing this work together, rather than anyone who is involved feel like, feeling like they're doing this work alone, is such an encouragement for people. So, even the reaching out and finding out what is happening in your area, what's going on, and how to be involved. If you'd like to work the, support the work of Matthew House Ottawa, you can go to MatthewHouseOttawa.org, and there's a quick and easy way to donate there or to get involved in other ways. Thanks again for this time and chance to talk a bit about our experience. Um, Goodbye.